Continuing in the Rambam's introduction to the Mishneh Torah, we are exploring the next pair of Zugot. So, we said, Antignos Yishochom Uvedino Kiblu Mishimon HaTzadik Uvedino That Antignos Yishochom receives the oral transmission from Shimon HaTzadik and his Betadin. V'yosef ben Yoezer, Ish Tzeredav, Yosef ben Yochanan, Ish Yerushanayim Uvedinam Kiblu Mantignos Uvedino And the next generation, so the first generation of Zugot, they receive their Torah from Yosef ben Yoezer and Yosef ben Yochanan. V'yoshua ben Perachia and Yehoshua the son of Perachia. V'nitai ha'arbeli and nitai of Arbel. U'vedinam and their betadim kibelu miYosef. They received from Yosef. V'yosef u'vedinam. So Yeshua ben Perachia and Itayar believe received from Yosef ben Yoezer and Yosef ben Yochanan and their Beit Din. So tonight and tomorrow we're going to talk about Yeshua ben Perachia and Itayar believe. Now, like last week, we know a lot more about the first one than we do about the second one. So most likely tonight we'll delve into the life of Rabbi Yeshua ben Perachia, and tomorrow we'll talk more about the teaching of. Nitai Harbili, and less about his personality because we really know very, very little about him. So I attached the PDF two entries. And open the door. I think it is wet over there. Um, from the encyclopedia that I attached. Out there you can say Mashif Haruach Morit Hageshem. The entry in the encyclopedia is found on page 471-472. Who was Rabbi Yehoshua ben Parachia? For those of you who've been in my shiur before about Rabbi Yehoshua ben Parachia, you've heard at least a little bit about him. He was a teacher of Jesus. Right, very good. Yehoshua ben Parachia, Nesi HaSanedrin. Most famously, he was the prince of the Sanhedrin. Verosh Chachmei Israel, page three of the PDF, and he was the head of all the sages of Israel, Bimei Yochanan, Kohen Gadol, Chashmonai. In the days of Yochanan, the Kohen Gadol, the Chashmonai. Echad Michachmei Hazug Heshani, he was one of the two who made up the second pair of leaders in that generation. Chavero uven zugo, he was the colleague and partner of Nitai Harbeli, Nitai of Arbel. Sheshimesh al yado av betin, he was also his av betadin. Hem kiblu toratah mizug chamim rishon, they received their Torah from the first generation. Yosef ben Yoezer ish tzeredav, Yosef ben Yochanan ish Yerushalayim. Vechachmei hador haba, and the rabbis of the next generation received from them as well, which we'll talk about them next week. Yochanan Kohen Gadol. Who remembers anything about the life of Yochanan Kohen Gadol? He was a famous Kohen. In age 18, and 
Very good. Yochanan Kohen Gadol until 80. <laughs> until 80, he belonged to the Chachamim. He affiliated with the Chachamim. And at the age of 80, he became a Tzedoki. He became a Sadducee. About him, the Mishnah, in the second chapter, says, Don't believe in yourself until the day you die. Because even a person who could be the Kohen Gadol for 80 years, 80 years comes and he becomes a tzeduki. Now really, if he's a chashmonai, is he a tzeduki? Is he a kohen? That's a question. He's a kohen gadol. So for sure he's a kohen. He's the kohen gadol. They say, what do we call him? Yochanan, kohen gadol, chashmonai. He was a chashmonai. So was he a Hashmonai or he was he a Tzedoki? What am I asking? What's the question I'm asking you? Hashmonai are a family, yes. Is a Tzedoki a political movement? Okay, very good. So that, that, that's the answer to the question. The Tzedokim start off as the children or the students of Tzadok. And of Tzadok, the, the early, the, the original Sadducee. And here you find already that someone that someone can leave the Chachamim and join the Tzedokim. Guys, for those who don't know why we're laughing, for those of us sitting here in the Ben Midrash, we feel like we're in the middle of one of those drive-through car washes. So when you drive through, it's like spraying your windows and soaping your, your car and they're scrubbing their thing. That's exactly what's going on. I wish I could turn the camera so you could see. But... <laughs> so. No, every, every night they come here and power wash the windows and the sidewalks, but they always start here. By the time 10 o'clock rolls around, they're at the end of the building on the other side. They'll be done soon. <laughs> There'll be no paint left in the car after that. Yochanan Kohen Gadol When the Yochanan Kohen Gadol left and became a Tzedoki, and he began to persecute the leaders of the Pirushim. Barach Yoshua ben Perachia in Alexandria and Mitzrayim. Yoshua ben Perachia fled to Alexandria in Egypt. And this is really where I'm going to pick up the life story of Yoshua ben Perachia right now. There's a little bit of confusion in this generation. Because there are personalities and names that pop up in rabbinic literature that don't seem to match the non-Jewish period that we're supposedly living in. Most notably is going to be who is really the student of the Biyoshua and Prachia. But we'll talk about that in just a moment. For right now, let's explore briefly. And if you want to read in depth, I've recommended to you the book of Rabbi Lau, Our Sages, in which he discusses the background, the political background of what's going on here. But in brief, the Chashmonaim, this is generation two of the Chashmonaim. The Chashmonaim have liberated the Bedemigdash. And part of their political rule is that they've taken over not just the kihuna, 
But they've also taken over the Malchut, the kingdom. They're wearing two crowns, the crown of the Kohen and the crown of the tribe of Yehuda, which doesn't belong to them. And here it means that ultimately the Hashemunaim, who at this point in time are now switching over to be Tzedokim. You see, this is what's happened. The first generation was righteous. Even the second generation, 80 years in, were righteous. And then there's a change in alliances. Now it seems that part of this change in alliances has very much to do with gaining control politically in Jerusalem at the time. It has a lot to do with the Tzedokim who are very actively recruiting people to be part of their movement. And this is a really ugly period in Jewish history. But what happens, what happens here is that the Chachamim automatically become the enemies of the Kohen Gadol. Automatically become the enemies of the Ben Amikdash, the Tzedokim, because whether they like it or not, these are their enemies. These are the rival faction of Jews who are running Yerushalayim. And this becomes a scuffle between these two camps. In this mess, things only get worse. So if you look with me in the writings of Rabbi Yosef Masas, which I gave you in a PDF, I think the page number that I sent you is 227. Do you see that at the top of the page? Yeah, that's the right one. I send the PDF in the Google Classroom. Um, check again. It could be your notifications didn't come in. But if you go to the Google Classroom, it should be there. And you'll see the latest Zoom invitation. If you can't find it, maybe Oren will send it over to you. Yeah. So on page 227. This is in Perkei Avot, the first chapter. These two Chachamim received from the Beredin before them. Yehoshua ben Perachia Omer. Yehoshua, the son of Perachia, says, Make for yourself a rabbi. And acquire for yourself a friend. And you must judge every person favorably. Just for the record, this Mishnah is Pekavot, so it's Midat the Chasiduta. There's no, uh, there's extra piety here. But we're commanded to judge people favorably, even on a halachic level. Not just on an extra level of piety. So, what's the difference between our obligation to judge people favorably in halacha and this extra halachic obligation to judge everybody favorably here? Perkavot is not a book of halakha. So we're commanded to judge people favorably the whole year. That's a halakhic requirement. What is this Mishnah coming to say that the other halakha doesn't say? How is this extra than halakha? What's the level of pipe? But the halakha is also Danakav Zakhud. No, but if it's a halachic obligation, it's not something good you acquire. It's a, it's an obligation. What is it, Chava? Oh, okay, okay, very good. Oh, there, Chava just answered. In halacha, I only have to judge someone favorably 
whom it's reasonable to judge favorably. So an example, you see me go to the grocery store, picking up steaks that are not kosher. I'm probably a bad example for this, yeah? But, no, I'm uh, just What? Very good. So there is a, you have to judge me favorably. Listen, I'm a person who doesn't buy not kosher meat. So you see me buying not kosher meat, you have to come up with the least likely scenario. Maybe I'm bringing it to my neighbor who's not Jewish. Maybe there's a homeless person who asked me to buy the food. Maybe you have to come up with a scenario. But what if you know that a person, not only does he eat non kosher, but he has a non kosher steak company? You see him go to the grocery store buying non kosher steaks. Do you have an obligation to say, well, maybe he's buying it for his next door neighbor? You don't have an obligation. You don't have an obligation. By the way, you might even have to judge certain people unfavorably. There is a halakha like that. Certain people that are reshaim, you see an evil person do something good, you're not supposed to assume that what they're doing is good. There's the other known halakha, the, the other side of this halakha is that you judge certain people unfavorably. The kaf chova. Here what Yoshua ben Parachia is adding is that you have to judge kol ha'adam, everybody favorably. I mean, even people that halakha does not require you to judge favorably, you should judge them favorably. And though there are many answers given to this question, I believe this is the truth. Nafkamina, what's the difference? You're going to see in the life story of Rabbi Yosha ben Parachia. Morai v'rabotai, says Rabbi Yosha ben Saras, ladies and gentlemen, Hanashim halalu, these rabbis, shenemim hayu b'chol ha'chokmah b'chol madam. They were complete with wisdom and knowledge. V'hayu b'mei yanai ha'melech, and they lived in the days of King Yanai, who was one of the kings from the house of Hashmonai. He was a very wealthy king, a very powerful king. Yanai. Remember King Yanai? He was married to somebody very famous. Who was his wife? Shlom Tzion. Very good. Shlom Tzion Hamalka. He was married to Shlom Tzion Hamalka. Shlom Tzion Hamalka had a brother. A very famous brother lived in this generation also. Anyone Shimon remember? Ben very good. Shimon ben Shatach. Shimon ben Shatach, or maybe some of you Shimon ben Shetach, but Shimon ben Shatach is that sister, he's the brother of Shlom Tzion. Shlom Tzion is, mar is married to Yanai the king. Yanai the king is from the house of Hashmonai, and he is actively pursuing the rabbis of his generation. There's a reason for it. He had very bad advisors. And he always went in their way. There was a place in the desert and he went to war against them. And he conquered 60 cities there. He was very happy on his victory and his return back. And he called all the sages of Israel. Our forefathers in the times of Ezra, when they came from exile to the land of Israel, and they spent all their money building the Ben Mikdash, they were very stingy in their own food, and they only ate salted vegetables, pickled vegetables. We will also remember the poverty of our forefathers and we will thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu by acting like our forefathers and eating this very low quality food instead of some uh, special, special uh, uh, victory food. 
kind of like we would eat on Pesach. We eat the bread of affliction. And our the same idea here that we're doing. And when he put out his tables of gold, they were busy eating their poor man's food on the table. There was one advisor of the king, Ishletz, a clown, Levra, with a bad heart. Uvliyad, he was a bad person. Velazar ben Puira And his name was Elazar. Vayomer Elazar Yanai Hamelech. And Elazar tells King Yanai, Yanai Hamelech, Libam shel Perushim Alecha. Look at these sages that hate you. Now there's already conflict between Chachamim and the Kohanim. He is inciting to hatred. He's, he's throwing, he's stoking the coals over there. Look at these rabbis disrespecting you. Look, they're not happy with your victory. They're eating poor person's food at your golden tables. Says Yanai, Umay says, so what should I do about it? What should I do with these pirushim, these Pharisees that are eating this food? Hakem lehem sheben enecha. Okay, this is already, what does it mean, Agada? Bottom line, he makes them stand up. Hekim lehem betzit sheben enav. Hayasham zaken echad. Viyuda ben gdidiyah shemo. There was an elder there. One of the Chachamim. Abiyuda. And he tells, Yanai HaMelech, Yanai HaMelech, Rav Lecha Keter Malchut. It's enough that you're the king. Hanach Keter Kehuna Lezaroh Shalharon. Allow the crown of the Kehuna to belong to the real descendants of Aharon. Shayom Rim Imon Ishbet Bimodiin. They would say that his mother, there was a rumor that his mother was kidnapped. And because of that, most likely he was not really the son of his father. And they, this really, this Chacham, what is he doing? He's angry at Yanai and he's telling him, huh, you're not even a Kohen. It's bad enough for the king. Just drop the Kihuna. Stop pretending like you're a real Kohen. And the Chachamim, they left this place in rage. And tells Yanai the king, Yanai HaMelech, Hediyotshi Bisrael, Kachu Dino. Vata Melech Vakuen Gadol, Kachu Dincha. If you were just a regular person, it's okay for someone to degrade you like that in public. But you're the king. You're going to let this guy get away with him? Umay say, what should I do, says Yanai? If you listen to my advice, kill them. And he says, On top of page 228, what's going to be with the Torah? But he's still a Jewish king. If I kill all the sages, what will be with the Torah? The Torah is here in the Aron Kodesh. It's not going to go anywhere. Just because you kill the rabbis doesn't mean the books are going to disappear with them. Anybody who wants to study Torah is welcome to come study Torah. Amar Amnachman Bar Yitzchak. Amnachman Bar Yitzchak says, Miyad Nizrakabu Epikosu. There was a certain heresy that came to him. He should have said, Tenach Torah Shabikta. Fine, the written Torah is here in the shop. A Torah Shabal Femai, but what about the oral Torah? And they get out and they start to kill all of the Chachmei Israel. And here it's important, Rabbi Yosef Masaz says to notice that this Elazar was a member of the Tzedoki family. 
And this was his way to settle the score between the Sadducees and the Pharisees by getting the sages to be murdered by King Yenai. And the world was, was devastated by how many sages were being massacred by the Jewish government of the Tzedokim. Ad Sheba Shimon ben Shatach, until Shimon ben Shatach, who was hidden by his sister, she kept him safe in these years where Yanai the king was killing, was killing the Chachamim. And he returns the Torah to its previous splendor. Now there's a backside of the story, a backstory here about what Shimon ben Shatach's role is in restoring the Torah here. But if you notice the encyclopedia that we read talks about Yohanan the Kohen Gadol killing the sages. If I'm not mistaken, I recall seeing that there's some discrepancies among the, in academia about whether or not King Yanai could have actually been part of the story, but depending on which generation he lived in. And therefore they say that maybe Yohanan Kohen Gadol was persecuting the Chachamim, but the rabbis called him King Yanai. It's a general term for an evil person. I'm reading this Gemara the way the Gemara was written and saying King Yanai is the one who killed the Chachamim, and that's the way I heard it from my rabbis as well. Says Rabbi Yosef Masas, the story doesn't end here. This rest of the story is found in Masechet Sotah. And look what he writes here in parentheses. It's found in the Warsaw edition of a certain year. And if you look in the current editions of the Talmud, you won't find it. I believe the Steinsaltz edition does have it, but the standard Gemarot that you can buy are censored by the Catholic Church. And because of that, they don't have this story inside of it. By the way, there are pages, for example, in Masechet Sanhedrin. You go look at some of, I think, page Mem Gimel, maybe. If you have a Masechet Sanhedrin at home, you'll notice on page Mem Gimel, there's a white gap at the bottom of the page. That whole chunk of Gemara about the execution of Yeshu and his students that happened on the eve of Pesach is erased from the Gemara. Let's read now. Yeah. Because we have other editions of the Gemara that were not censored. That's very good. That were not censored. Just like the Rambam. The Rambam that, that many people use here is censored. Not here, not us. I mean, I have the standard Vilna edition. Uh, the Rambam that we use in front of us is uncensored. So there's parts, for example, in the laws of Mashiach that talk about Christianity and Islam that are not in the regular uh, Mishnah Torah. And they are in the real Mishnah Torah. The Sidurim also. Many of the Siduim were tampered with, and this is unfortunately, many people are adamant that they cannot change back to the original versions of the Sidu or the original versions of the Mishnah Torah because tradition. The tradition you're upholding is like, it's like I pray Nusach Catholic Church. It's not, it's not the real, you know that it's not the real thing. And this I've never understood. Why when we can prove that something is not accurate, people are still adamant that they have to hold on to it. As if they're doing something right by doing something wrong. The, the tradition... To do the correct thing is older than the tradition you have to do the incorrect thing. So for example, you know in the Siddu, Do they bow down to emptiness and nothingness to a God that will not answer them? In many Siddurim, mostly Ashkenazi Siddurim, you'll see it in parentheses. Yeah, you've seen that before? In the Chabad Siddur, that line is taken out completely. Now, that line originally was taken out by the Catholic Church. I have a Varik emptiness it also is the numerical value of the name of Yeshu, of Jesus. And so one of, who, who censored books 
for the Catholic Church. You think the priests there in the Vatican were experts in rabbinic Hebrew? You had Jews who were converts to Catholicism that wanted to prove themselves. So what they would do is they would go on witch hunts and Jewish books and they would search for things that would make... And that was one of the things some guy had dreamt up in the middle of the night that when we say emptiness and nothingness, we really mean Yeshu. And uh, you even have some Hasidim, they spit in the time of Tefillah. It's like a... It's, you know, it's, forbidden to, it's forbidden to spit in a better Knesset. It's like, you're not allowed to spit in a better Knesset. You can spit outside the better Knesset, but not in the better Knesset. Especially not in front of people. Even outside, you're not allowed to spit in front of another person. I mean, also common decency would dictate that, but that's... So, uh, that part of the Sidhu was put back in later when, I guess, when Ashkenazim, I don't know exactly when, when Ashkenazim figured out that that sentence was taken out. And some Ashkenazim are particular that even though they don't say it the whole year, that at least on Yom Kippurim, they say the correct version of Alain Shabach. You know, once a year you say the right thing. Some Hasidim, you mentioned Chabad, they are adamant even on Yom Kippur, they don't say the full Nusach. Because that's the Nusach that they have, and that's the Nusach they pray. But we know that that's the Nusach of the Catholic Church. We have Sidhuim before the Catholic Church censored the Sidhu. Why would you not revert back to the original Nusach? Now, rabbis taught, and I expanded on this topic here in my shiur that's uh, on YouTube. It's a private shiur, so if you want to have it, you need the link. I taught it once in my Sunday class and to the Glitz girls in the summer. Uh, Jesus in the Talmud. I, that's not public uh, information. Bad enough the video clips they make when I when I things they put on record. You know, that's the one. The rabbis say you should always push people away with your left hand and bring them close with your right hand. Not like Elisha who rejected Gechazi with both hands. And not like Yehoshua ben Perachia who pushed him away with two hands. Pushed who away? Jesus. I remember seeing in an earlier manuscript of the Talmud that he pushed off Yeshu with both his hands. Now that's what's written in the Talmud. I guess Rabbi Yosef didn't have access to that. But in the original version of the Talmud, Rabbi Yosef is pushing off Yeshu. Now is Yeshu somebody's name? What does Yeshu mean? Right, it's an acronym for Yimach Shemo V'zicho. May his name be erased and blotted out. So it's written, Yud Shin, apostrophe, Vav. Yeshu Hanotzri. And it's always referred to Yeshu of Nazareth. Yeshu Hanutsri, Yeshu Hanutsri, Yeshu Hanutsri. Now there are Jews, Chachamim, who are adamant that this Yeshu is not the same Yeshu as the Jesus that the Christians talk about, but he's another person who was the Yimach of Zichol, another person who fell out of grace with the rabbinic establishment. But what can I tell you that our Chachamim understood this Yeshu to be the same Yeshu? And what about the discrepancy of years? The Yeshu that we refer to lived about a hundred years before the Yeshu that the Christians say they, he lived. The Christian Yeshu lived some 40-some years before the destruction of the Ben Migdash. And it's very simple. It's very simple that uh, the New Testament is not a historical document. And the New Testament is built on trying to show that the killing of Yeshu is what caused the destruction of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. So those things are pushed into closer proximity. But between our Chachamim and the New Testament, I'm not, I'm not sure why anybody would have a question as to who to believe. Our Chachamim told us when Yeshu lived and who he was and where he walked and who he studied with. And that's the Yeshu that we're talking about. 
What's the story with Rabbi Yushab and Perachia? When Nenai the king was killing the rabbis, Shimon ben Shatach at Minte Achate, the sister of Shimon ben Shatach, Shalom Tzion the queen, was hiding him. So he was safe. He did not have to flee Jerusalem. But Yushab ben Perachia, he had to run away to Alexandria and Egypt. What was in Alexandria at the time? Yeah, well, what was going on there? Everyone studying Masechet Megillah? Over there you had huge Batei Knesset. They see there was one Batei Knesset there that when you would say Amen, right, they wouldn't hear you on that side, so they wave, wave flags, very good. Sir. They wave a flag so you know when to say Amen. There was a huge Jewish community there. Very good, they sat separated, that's, that's correct, Nachon. So Alexandria was a major Jewish community. So he went to Alexandria to flee for his life. Kihava Shalma, when there was peace, when Yanai stopped killing the Chachamim, Shalach le Shimon ben Shatach. Shimon ben Shatach sends a message to his friend, the Biyushan Perachia. But he can't write to him overtly, so he writes to him in a poem. This is me, Yerushalayim, the holy city, writing. To you, my dear sister, Alexandria of Egypt. My husband, he's sleeping over at your house. But I am lonely. What is he telling Yerushalayim Rechia? Come back. It's safe to come back. The coast is clear. Rabbi Yerushalayim Rechia says, Shema mina, now I know there's peace. When he came, he was traveling back with his students. And he stopped at a certain inn. What word does that remind you of? Ushpizin, the guest that you have on Sukkot. So Ushpiza is the place where Ushpizin stayed. The host and the hostess, being the owners of the inn, they were so excited that the Bishon Barachel was staying at their house, the big Chacham was staying at their house, that they brought out a beautiful feast for them. Abdideh Katova, they treated them very well. Yati Vekamishtabach. They made a great honor for Bishon Barachel, and he was sitting there and they were praising him. Sorry. He stood up and he began to praise the host. Why? Why do you praise the host? What does the road of the rabbis teach us? Potchim, bichvod, achsanya. When you're in someone's home, before you say anything, say something nice about the host, the hostess, the family, the, the such nice food, say a beautiful home. You have to say something nice at their home. How beautiful is this, is this hotel, is this place? But you can also translate that, how beautiful is the hostess? Amar lo, Yeshu tells Rabbi Shon Rabbi, Rabbi, don't you see the eyes of the hostess? They're not beautiful. Rashi says they were round. I don't know what's wrong with having round eyes. I don't know what shape your eyes are. My eyes are round. Uh, but but uh, some Chachamim say her eyes, something was wrong with the way her eyes looked, whatever it was. I mean, how can you say that she's so beautiful when her eyes are not beautiful? Amar lo, tells him, Rasha, you evil man. Is that what you're dealing with? Says Rabbi Shemasas in parentheses, you're looking at a married woman? 
ולגנות אותה, and you're, you're denigrating her, ולהיות כפוי טובה, and on top of that, you're not being grateful for their hosting you? What kind of person does that? רשע, היא כל הזמן רשע. You're looking at a married woman, you're saying bad things about her, and you're being mean to somebody who's doing you a favor. אפיק ארבע מאה שופרי ושמתי. He takes out 400 שופרות. And if you would study this, the Agada, you would have figured out why 400, why not. Right now, he took out שופרות. Why do you take out שופרות in rabbinic literature? So you, you excommunicate people with a שופר. So he takes out a שופר, and he does שמתה. He excommunicates him. So Yeshu is no longer, is persona non grata in the rabbinic world. He has a cherem on him. He cannot come. Every single day he came back to Rabbi Prachya, hoping that his rabbi would accept him back into the yeshiva. And Rabbi Prachya didn't want to accept him back. Remember we spoke a few weeks ago, about, a few days ago maybe, about the, the Ben Midrash being a place where only people who are on their inside and their outside were the same were allowed inside. There were tough standards to get in here. And Rabbi Shubhra didn't want a person who was looking at married women and denigrating them in public. And he didn't want such a person in Yeshiva. Yom Achad, one day, Havakal Kiyachma. Rabbi Shubhra was reading Kiyachma. Atala Kame. And Yeshu came to him in the middle of Kiyachma. Hava Bedate Lekabule. My Gemaz is Lekabule. Okay. He had it in his. He already made up his mind that he was going to let him back today. He was hard enough on him. Let's let Yeshu back into the yeshiva. And what did he do? He probably did something like Israelis do with his hand. What does it mean? What does an Israeli mean? Wait! 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 Hold on! Meaning, I can't talk right now. Now I'm in the middle of Kirat Jamal. Just wait! Wait a second! But Yeshu didn't understand. Savar, and he thought, that he was really pushing him away, like, get out of here. Azal, he left, Zakaf Levinta, and he took a brick. So on his way out of the village, he grabs a brick. Palcha. And he began to worship this brick. See how a piece of Agadah is written? Because this piece of Agadah makes no sense on its own. I once, many, many years ago, in the Kuzari class, I taught you what this Gemara meant. I'll tell you in just a moment. Amarle, Rabbi Yushan looks for Yeshu. He wants to bring him back to the Yeshiva. Chazor Becha, do Teshuvah, return. Amar lo, Yeshu answers Rabbi Shabrachia, Kach mekublani mimcha, I have already received a rabbinic tradition from you. Kol hachoteh, umachti tarabim, anybody who sins can do teshuvah. But anybody who sins and causes other people to sin, they en maspikin biyado la'asot teshuvah, they don't help him from heaven to do teshuvah. Da'amar mar, that's what mar says, Kishef vehesit vehediach vehichtit Yisrael, that Yeshu involved himself in sorcery and caused the Jewish people to sin and to leave Hashem and do all kinds of terrible things. So Shom Perachia approaches his student and says, come back to the yeshiva. 
And the student says, Rabbi, you already taught me. I'm it's too late. When I was doing Avirot, that was one thing. You could have brought me back. But I already know from you that once I cause other people to do Avirot, there's nothing I can do. You can't, I can't do Teshuvah. And from here, our rabbis teach us that nobody should push someone else away with two hands, with the right hand, like Yerushon Perechia. You should always push someone away with your left hand while at the same time bringing them close with your right hand. Do you want to give Musa to somebody? Put your arm around their shoulder and tell them something wrong. Do you want to tell your kid that something's not okay? So hold their hand and talk to them. You should always give a person this feeling, I'm not throwing you out, I'm criticizing what you're doing. And our rabbis say that the mistake was made by Yeshua and Brachia. Can you imagine if Yeshu did not leave the yeshiva and he would have stayed to be a rabbi and he wouldn't have gone off and started the world's, I don't know if the largest or second largest, I don't know where they rank, religion in the world. And there would have been no inquisition, there would have been no crusades, there would have been no persecution of the Catholic Church of Jewish people throughout history. Can you imagine what would have happened? All because of a story that happened in the generation of Kiganai. Now, just for a moment, I'll take a tangent. What's the deal with the brick? What's the story with the brick? Anyone here in the show, maybe you don't, but anyone in the video remember what I shared then from Harav Kuk about what the meaning of this brick is? No. Rav Kuk understands this piece of Agadah as follows. He says, Yeshu's most famous teaching, what is it? Give the other cheek. If someone hurts you, other cheek too. Yeshu is all about love. Love your fellow. Love your, everything is about love. Yeshu is love. I once sat next to a Christian lady in the airplane. And she told me, you know, I'm so sad for you. You Jews believe in the Old Testament, the God of vengeance. But we're so lucky that we receive the God of love. I'm thinking to myself, well, at least she's honest that she has two gods. She forgot the third one. But at least she's honest she has two gods, the old God and the new God. But here, here, which God of vengeance? Have you ever read the New Testament? What kind of vile uh, uh, evil is written there about people, about human beings? About Jews? You know what's written there about Jews? You want to know where anti-Semitism comes from? Have you read what Matthew has to say about the Jews? What John has to say about the Jews? The guy who wrote? I, I, not for now. I have a different show, different time. You know, when it comes to Christianity, the purpose is never to mock Christianity. It doesn't do anyone any good. You mock another religion, so there's no chance those people will ever come to see Yaqarish Baruch. It's always better to show what is good about someone else, and then ultimately they'll come to see the light. I didn't make that up. Harav Kuk writes such a thing. Rabbi Yosef Masas writes such a thing. To show, to show what's in common, and ultimately somebody who's on the right path will come Hello. to see goodness. Rav Kook says the brick. The brick is, the Yeshu leaves the world of Torah. He leaves the world of the Pharisees. But he doesn't leave without taking one of the bricks of the building with him. He takes values from the Jewish community, and he makes those his God. All the other mitzvot don't matter. The things that Yeshu cherry picks from the Bet Midrash are important to him. And the other things that he learned and he knows are true, that he rejects, are not important to him anymore. And Hav Kook says this is essentially Avodah Zarah. It's Avodah Zarah of taking one mitzvah, or five mitzvot, or however many mitzvot it is, and turning those into the end. It's turning a means into an end. By the way, I once heard 
from a chacham. So the definition of Avodah Zarah, obviously not the halachic textbook definition of Avodah Zarah. But what is Avodah Zarah? Remember the, what the Rambam tells us? That everybody used to believe in Hashem. So what happens from when they believed in the Creator until they started worshipping the moon and the stars and the sun? What happened? What was the devolution of that? Is that a word? How did that happen? Yeah, very good. What, do you remember what he says? That's exactly right. So essentially what happens is that they get so caught, they're trying to also pray to the moon and the sun and give thanks to them for what they are. And then what ultimately happens is they forget HaKadosh Baruch Hu. What do you say? They, they lost the forest for the trees? Yeah. yeah. So this, that's a very good uh, way to say it. And that is really what happens in the world. That when the means becomes the end, that is the definition of Abu Lazar. You have the Jewish community groups like that too. There are groups that bringing Mashiach is their whole Judaism. There's nothing else aside from that. That becomes their mitzvah. And in such, it's in a way, becomes their worship of the Creator that is foreign to the rest of Judaism. The means becomes the end. So Mashiach comes. And now what? What happens next? So what's all the work for? What are you working for? There are people who are learning Torah. We are yeshiva students who study Torah. Torah, Torah, Torah. And then what else? So what else? Torah became your idol? That's all you have? You think I'm taking away from the important study Torah? But Torah is in the context of the rest of the, the mitzvot that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us. There are many things that we turn that are important, but we turn them into an end, and because of that, they become Avodah Zarah. Yeshu did that. Yeshu took certain values and rejected the rest of them. And I would have loved to do the rest here, but I think it's time that we wrap up this topic. I wanted just to say about Yeshu, about Rabbi Shalom Let me ask you this question. If Yeshu had caused other people to sin, and the person who taught him that someone who causes other people to sin cannot do Teshuvah, then why did Rabbi Yeshu who's the one who taught him this, why did he bother looking for him to tell him to do Teshuvah? If his rabbi thought that doing Teshuvah was possible, then why did he teach his students that he couldn't do Teshuvah? Misunderstood. Misunderstood the teaching about Teshuvah? Yeah. Okay, very good. The Lubavitcher Rebbe, Shalom, in his commentary on Prakavot, he says that really when it says, en maspikin it doesn't mean he cannot do Teshuvah. Everyone can do Teshuvah. But there's a certain level of divine assistance that happens when you come to do Teshuvah. You want to fix something that's wrong? Our rabbis tell us, HaKadosh Baruch says, open up for me the opening of the eye of a needle, and I will open up the rest for you. You just have to make the initial effort, and the rest will happen. Halafuk explains that Teshuvah is like a lightning bolt. You're in the dark. It's pitch black outside, and there's lightning. All of a sudden, you see the surroundings, but then the light goes away. But at the very least, what it gave you is a little bit of knowledge into which direction you need to be going. General direction. Until the next lightning bolt. And those lightning bolts are gifts from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's maspikin biyado. That's HaKadosh Baruch Hu assisting you in your teshuvah process. But what happens to a person who is a chote u'machtit ha'rabim? 
that person no longer receives, you can do teshuvah, but the teshuvah is manual. There's no more automatic help here. He has to work hard. He has to do this on his own. He has to figure it out from the beginning. And this student, Yeshu, didn't understand the teaching that his rabbi had taught him. The Lubavitch Rebbe also suggests that this is the reason why Rabbi Yushab Perachia teaches this teaching that you should judge everybody favorably, even those who don't deserve to be judged favorably. Because this seems to be the message of his life. And that is that had he judged Yeshu favorably, had he ignored it, had he just not made a big deal out of this, then Yeshu would not have become Yeshu, Christianity would have never happened, the rest of history would have never happened the way that it happened. And Yeshu Merchah is telling us, even though Halachad did not require me to judge this person favorably, but you should still judge people favorably. Because the damage that happens when we don't could be so great that even years and years and years go by and we're not able to turn back the tide. Tomorrow night, Bezal Hashem, I'll continue one more piece about Rabbi Yusham Brechia and Itai Harabili. But for now, I wanted to make sure that we open up our Shulchan Aruch tonight together. Bezal Hashem, Bezal Hashem.